Hello, and thanks for joining us on the Christian Celebration Center podcast. Our prayer is that this audio will encourage you in Christ and challenge you from God's Word. Enjoy the message. Take your Bibles, e-version or tree version, and turn or click with me to Mark chapter 7. Mark chapter 7. And while you turn there, let me give you a small snapshot of what is going on up to this point. After walking on water, Jesus calls out the Pharisees for honoring God with their lips, but their hearts not matching what their lips are saying. Jesus doesn't like that. He doesn't like it when our hearts are believing something different than our mouths are saying. And then he starts to talk about the fact that there's in our heart our, is where things are birthed that defile us. It's not what we put into our body. It's what is birthed in there and comes out. So sinful thoughts, sinful actions are birthed in the heart. And then he, uh, he really commends a Syrophoenician woman for her faith in coming to Jesus for the healing of her daughter. He really commends the fact that she was never going to give up until Jesus touched her daughter. And now we arrive at the passage we'll pick apart for most of our morning. Mark chapter 7, verse 31. And would you stand with me for the reading of God's word? Mark 7, verse 31. Then Jesus left the vicinity of Tyre and went through Sidon, down to the Sea of Galilee and into the region of the Decapolis. There, some people brought to him a man who was deaf and could hardly talk. And they begged Jesus to place his hand on him. After he took him aside, away from the crowd, Jesus put his fingers into the man's ears. Then he spit and touched the man's tongue. He looked up to heaven and with a deep sigh said to him, Ephatha, which means be opened. At this, the man's ears were opened, his tongue was loosened, and he began to speak plainly. Jesus commanded them not to tell anyone, but the more he did so, the more they kept talking about it. People were overwhelmed with amazement. He has done everything well, they said. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. If you're a note taker today and you have a notebook with you or maybe you have the notes app on your phone open and you're like, can I write something at the top of the page, please? The title of the message today is The Sigh of a King. The Sigh of a King. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you, thank you for today. Thank you for the opportunity to get together as believers as a family community of believers, and worship your name together. And Lord, we pray that today we know that your word changes us. It molds us, it shapes us, it changes us. And so, Lord, we pray just that today, that your word would change us, mold us, and shape us, that when we walk out of here, we would be different, we would think different, we would act different. Lord, thank you for everything that you have for us today, in Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. You may be seated. 
You know, I've experienced a lot of different types of size in my life. I'm sure that you have too. I, I would say that even just in the last couple of weeks, I experienced the Thanksgiving sigh. I don't know if you guys experienced that. The Thanksgiving sigh. When you finish your plate of food, or maybe you're a weirdo and you go right in for the pie right after dinner. I eat so much for dinner, I have to wait like an hour or two to get into pie. But either way, that Thanksgiving sigh, that last bite. <sighs> or how about the vacation sigh? The vacation sigh, I don't know if you've noticed, it's getting very cold outside. I don't know why we live here, but nonetheless... The vacation sigh, as it's getting cold, you might be planning your escape to somewhere warmer. And you can just picture yourself, you know, getting out your little sand chair, beach chair, and you're looking out, sun's beating down on you, warming your back, and you're looking out at the ocean, and you're thinking about all of us back here suffering in the cold, and you sit down in your beach chair. <sighs> or how about... The kid's disobedience sigh. You tell your kid, hey, don't touch that. And they look back at you and smirk and touch it. And you're like, I don't know what I'm going to do with you, kid. Here you go. Here's one. What about the uh, bedtime sigh? or the after bedtime sigh for those of you parents with young kids. Bedtime at our house feels like an eternity every night. And once they have gotten their third drink of water and gotten their stuffed animal they forgot downstairs and found their blankie amongst all the stuffed animals they have in their bed. And they've called us up for the last time. And it's like five, six, seven minutes go by and it's like, okay, I think they're Quiet, quiet house. Come on, parents, where you at? That's a great sigh. I love my kids, but man, bedtime. There's another sigh that's probably the most common in our house. And yes, it comes from me. I'm going to be honest. It comes from me. I call it the I just sat down sigh. <coughs> and, you know, I will get home and I will do a bunch of chores, just trying to help out, just trying to make my wife, kids happy, and so I'll empty the dishwasher and reload it because that's really all I do with my life is empty and then reload the dishwasher. And then I take the trash out, you know, and I put the bag back in the trash can, and I might sweep up the entryway just to make it, you know, look clean. And then I look around and my, you know, my kids are probably doing homework or maybe they're eating, and I don't see my wife anywhere. She must be on the second level or something, and so I'm like, all right, everything looks pretty good. All right, let me sit down. And right before I get the I just sat down sigh, from out of nowhere, I don't know if my wife has some sort of radar or sonar that goes off that says my husband just sat down. But as it's two, two and a half seconds max. I get the, hey, babe, can you come here a second? Can you bring me this? <sighs> yes, son. Scripture says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. I will give up my seat 
I will stand up and bring you this thing that you so desperately need. Come on, husbands. I know that I'm not the only one around here. The I just sat down. I just sat down, hon. Come on. It's like, hey, if I'm not resting, I'm not sitting down, neither are you, big boy. Better get up. Bring me what I need. I'm sure we could add even more types of sighs to the list. All of us experience sighing. All of us. It's an every human, no matter what culture you're a part of, thing that happens. Every single human being has sighed and will sigh until their very last day. Research has shown that sighing is necessary for the body to regulate breathing. Get this, when the breathing machines were first invented, more people were going into cardiac, not a cardiac, but respiratory arrest than they even knew what to do with. And it's because they just had regular breathing. They did not build in a sigh. The sigh, physically, your body sighs automatically about every five minutes so that your lungs don't collapse. Isn't that interesting? That's probably a pretty good thing. Wouldn't want your lungs to collapse. But other research shows that sighing is triggered as an emotional response as well. Most of the time, automatically, without your control. Now, when you ask your kid to do something, that is, that is controlled, okay? They can control that, <coughs> just so that you're aware. But sometimes that sighing is outside of your control. So whether it's a relaxed sigh or a stress-filled sigh, whatever feelings that you're experiencing, it's the body's way of refocusing, recalibrating, regathering, setting itself back on the right track, both physically and emotionally. Now, when we look at Scripture, every single word, every single letter, every single detail in this book is important. Every single one of them. There's not one that is not important. 2 Timothy 3 says, all Scripture is God-breathed. Not some of it. Not just the parts that we really like. All Scripture is God-breathed. And all scripture is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. All scripture, every single dot is useful. So that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. I love how A.W. Tozer puts it, the word of God well understood and religiously obeyed is the shortest route to spiritual perfection. And we must not select a few favorite passages to the exclusion of others. Nothing less than a whole Bible can make a whole Christian. Nothing less than the whole Bible can make a whole Christian. Every word, every detail is important. And this account here in the book of Mark 
this healing of this deaf and mute man, it's only found here in the book of Mark. None of the other gospels write about this account. Matthew doesn't write about it. Luke doesn't write about it. John does not write about it. So it's important to take in every detail as we read this passage because you won't get it anywhere else. That's why when I was reading this passage in my devotions uh, several months ago, there was just something that jumped out to me. And I, I made a kind of a deal with myself. I found, I found in my devotional time that I was reading for quantity, not for quality. So it was almost like when I would read scripture, I was trying to achieve a goal or see a goal instead of seeing God. And if you're reading like the Bible in one year, keep at it, you're almost done. But for me, for me, I just was like, I need to read for quality. So I started to read slowly. I started to really read each word, and it has been awesome. And so when I came to this verse 34, there was a detail that really stood out. He, Jesus, looked up to heaven and with a deep sigh said to him, Ephatha, which means be opened. A deep sigh. A deep sigh. Why are we told about how Jesus was breathing at this moment? I'm not complaining. I'm just wondering, why are we being told why, why, are, why is Mark describing how Jesus is breathing? I mean, obviously, it was different enough to be recorded. It was out of the ordinary enough for Mark to be like, yeah, hmm, write that down. What kind of sigh was this from Jesus? More specifically, what, what caused Jesus to sigh? Was he, was he tired? Maybe. I mean, his journey was a long one. Maybe he was tired and he was sighing because he was exhausted. Maybe he was irritated. Maybe he was stressed. Maybe he was sighing because he was a little annoyed. Maybe he had just sat down after a long journey and two, two and a half seconds later, somebody wants another healing done. Why did Jesus sigh? Sometimes when I stop to dig deeper into a detail, it's, it's great, it's fun to dig into the scripture, and oftentimes it is just a detail. It's a, it's a descriptive thing to bring the account more to life. But other times, like this account, when you dig deeper into the detail of this, it gets really, really awesome. The Greek word for deep sigh is the word stenazo, meaning to sigh or in some cases to groan, okay? It's the only time in all four Gospels that this word is used. And it's only used just a few more times throughout the rest of the New Testament. And it is most often used by Paul. 
And the way that Paul uses this word stenazo gives us a very good picture as to why Jesus sighed and why what may have caused what was behind the sigh of the king. Paul uses the word to the Romans. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. Why do we as believers sigh? Why do we groan? Because we can't wait for the redemption of our bodies. Paul also uses it twice in his letter to the Corinthians. For we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed, Instead, with our heavenly dwelling. Because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we are in this tent, we groan and are burdened. Because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling. So that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. What Paul is saying is that a follower of Jesus... When thinking about the end, when thinking about heaven, when thinking about Jesus coming back for his church and ending pain and suffering, sighs a sigh of relief. Groans in anticipation. You know, kind of like I do as soon as November 1st hits. Many of you know, I've said it before, Thanksgiving is my favorite holiday. And so when November 1st rolls around, man, I'm like, oh, that's going to be so good. Thanksgiving is going to be so good. Oh, I can't wait. I groan. It's weird, but I groan in anticipation. It's going to be so good. This sigh from Jesus was in the midst of a difficult situation, tired and worn out. He has brought a man in very rough shape, unable to hear, unable to speak plainly. People are all around him, begging with him, pleading with him, Jesus, please do something. Help our friend. Now, I know for me, with all that going on, I'm probably sighing with a sigh filled with stress. Filled with, I don't, do you have the right guy? I don't know, like, uh, you want me to help this guy? I'm looking at these problems and, and, and all of these issues and all of these things in front of me, and I'm letting these things determine my attitude and my perspective. But Jesus' sigh was the sigh caused by possessing a different perspective than I would have had. His sigh was coming from a place of perfect peace. His sigh was coming from a place of victory, from a place of perfection. His sigh came from looking 
to heaven. He lifts up his eyes almost like he's teaching us that when problems arise, when problems hit us out of nowhere, when problems are in front of us, instead of focusing on them, staring at them and letting them run our thoughts and our actions and consume us, we need to shift our perspective. As believers in Jesus, we look at our situations in Jesus. As believers, we view our circumstances from heaven's filter, not the world's filter. We can look at and focus on the hope that we have with the full assurance that faith brings, that he who promised is faithful. It's a sigh from a different perspective. Listen, simply put, our eyes determine our size. Our eyes determine our size. Whatever our eyes are looking at, whatever our eyes are fixed on, whatever our eyes are gazing at and allowing our minds to process, all of that determines our size. If your eyes are focused on your problems, on your situations, on all of these things, then your size will be full of problems. But if your eyes are fixed on our blessed hope, on the promise of heaven, eternity with Jesus, your size will become full of heaven. I really believe that this sigh in Mark 7 is the key that shows us who Jesus really is and what he's really like. <coughs> Excuse me. First of all, Jesus loves going out of his way. Jesus loves going out of his way. Verse 31, then Jesus left the vicinity of Tyre and went through Sidon down to the Sea of Galilee and into the region of the Decapolis. Now, we don't have time this morning to grab a map and, and all of us get on Google Maps and kind of try to trace this out. So let me save you some time and just let you know that this was a long journey. It was a long journey. And remember, this journey was on foot. Okay, they didn't have no electric scooters. Okay, there weren't any planes, trains, or automobiles. There was nothing. Maybe a donkey. But it was mostly done on foot. And so you're probably looking at a scripture like Tyre, Sidon, Sea of Galilee, Decapolis. I, I'm not really following you, Pastor David. Okay, let me put it into perspective to where you can understand, okay? If we were to take the same journey that Jesus took, okay, we're not going to do this, so don't stand up. But I would say, all right, let's take the same journey. So stand up, let's all go out to the church parking lot, and we'll start walking. And we all would walk from here to Mount Pleasant, okay? We would walk from here to Mount Pleasant. We'd stop there for a little bit, maybe get some IHOP, okay? I think that there's uh, a five guys there too, depending on how long it takes us. Uh, I, don't, I know there's some really good restaurants over there. I'll stop because you're probably hungry now. But we would get to Mount Pleasant, we'd hang out for a little bit, and then we would turn around and we would walk from Mount Pleasant to Saginaw. 
Okay, we would walk from Mount Pleasant to Saginaw. We'd probably be tired there. I know there's an IHOP also in Saginaw. Can you tell it's around breakfast time? So I hop in Saginaw, we probably sit there, get some pancakes, and then we would turn around from Saginaw and we would make our way back to the church parking lot. Oh, by the way, um, we have to go through Bay City and then come back to the church parking lot. Church parking lot to Mount Pleasant, Mount Pleasant to Saginaw, Saginaw through Bay City, back to the church parking lot. That is the journey that Jesus took. That's a long way for a moment. That is a long way for this one man. But let me ask you, wouldn't you travel a long distance for somebody that you love? I remember when Lisa and I were first married, we had probably been married about a year, year and a half, I was doing uh, event sales for a promotional company, and these uh, sales were all over the Northeast. And so I would typically drive to these sales that would last a week or two, and I would drive between 10 and 16 hours to these sales, run the promotional event, and then drive maybe back home, or sometimes we had back-to-back events. And so I was gone quite a bit, and I remember we had the sale, it ended, and then we had a couple of days until the next sale started. And I was 14 hours away from home, the next sale was only 10 hours away from home, so it was closer. And me, I was just like, I'm going to drive home. Like, why would I get a hotel 10 hours from home when I could just drive the rest of the way, so I drove through the night so that I could spend just a few extra hours with my wife. I'm not saying that to brag. I'm saying that any of us would do that for somebody that we love. Why would I do that? Because I love my wife. I want to be with her. She's my favorite person. I don't want to miss any time with her if I can help it. And if we really think about how God feels about people, Think about how God feels about you right now. Like, he chose you. He chose you. Before the foundations of the world, he chose you. Think about that. He knit you together. He took his time knitting you together. He saw you in your mother's womb. He knows exactly how many hairs are on your head. He'll never leave you. If you are a believer in Jesus, he has promised. He'll never leave you, never forsake you. You are dearly loved. He has plans for you. Like really good plans, full of hope. And when you get even just a little bit of that, it's not crazy to think that God gladly goes out of his way for people. It's not crazy that he'll take the long way around. It's no problem. Just to spend moments with you. Because the second thing we see about Jesus is that Jesus loves broken people. 
Verse 32, there's some people brought to him a man who was deaf and could hardly talk. And they begged Jesus to place his hand on him. I have to imagine that Jesus was seeing these people and seeing their love and care for this man and seeing their belief that Jesus is the best option for our friends. Like, there's no, Jesus, we got to get this guy to Jesus because he is the best solution. He's the best option that we have for our friend to be helped. Tired from the journey? Oh yeah, Jesus was tired from the journey. But he wanted this moment. He traveled a long way for this moment. He knew this broken man needed an encounter with the king. So as Jesus saw these people bringing this deaf and mute man to him, he had to have been smiling. Now, was this guy born deaf and mute, or did something happen? I, I mean, we don't know for sure. I would say that it's pretty safe to say that something like trauma or sickness or illness or disease caused him to become deaf, because it says that he had a hard time speaking. So I think he learned how to speak. I think that he became deaf. Either way, Jesus sees the need, he sees the broken man, and loves him anyway. Isn't that good news for us? That is good news. We might be able to speak and hear, but we know what it's like to be broken in some places in our life. We know what it's like to deal with issues that we can't seem to fix on our own. We're no different than this deaf, mute man. Jesus sees our issues. He sees our brokenness. And he loves us anyway and pursues us anyway. Thank God for the people that brought us to Jesus. This guy was probably... I don't know, doing whatever. And his friends were like, hey, Jesus is here. Come on, come on, come on. And brought this guy to Jesus. He didn't, maybe he didn't even know about it. Thank God for the people that brought us to Jesus. Even right now, I'm thinking about the people who prayed on my behalf, who spoke to Jesus on my behalf. <coughs> Excuse me. I'm thinking about guys like James and Eric who looked at this punk freshman at Northwood University and said, the best option we've got for this guy is to bring him to Jesus. Jesus is his best shot. It's his best solution. Oh, I'm so thankful. You are probably thinking about people in your life right now who brought you to Jesus. Maybe it was a parent, a grandparent, a friend. People who brought us to Jesus. The next thing we see about Jesus is Jesus loves private conversations. Verse 33, after he took him aside away from the crowd, Jesus put his fingers into the man's ears. Then he spit and touched the man's tongue. 
he took him aside, away from everyone else. He wanted a moment, just him and this man that he loves. He just wanted a moment so that this man could concentrate on Jesus. No distractions. Jesus meets this guy right where he's at. He meets him right where he's at. Remember, this man can't hear. So anything visual is probably a distraction. So if he's in the midst of all these people, he might be distracted. But Jesus takes him aside. Hey, look at me. Look at me. Jesus speaks in a way that this man could understand. He uses body language. He uses his hands. He even uses his spit to communicate with this man. You're probably weirded out a little bit by the whole spit thing, okay? In this biblical context, in this time frame, it was not uncommon for spittle or spit to be associated with healing, okay? So the fact that this man was watching Jesus use his hands Use his spit. Jesus was communicating, I am fixing what is broken. Without even using a word. Jesus connected right where this guy was at. Without using a word. Communicates, I am fixing what is broken. Now, could Jesus have spoken and the man hear him anyway? Absolutely, I believe that. But I think Jesus takes the time to show that he can talk to us right where we're at. Right where we're at. He can talk to us in our current state, in the way that we best understand him. He's talking to this man without any words at all. Letting him know that he's the one that opens ears and loosens tongues. This man and the people around him probably would be familiar with a passage in Isaiah as they were experiencing this healing. Isaiah 35, Say to those with fearful hearts, Be strong, do not fear. Your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come. To save you. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. This is a messianic prophecy and promise. That when the Messiah comes, he will do miraculous things. Jesus, without words is still saying to this man, yes, I am a healer. But I am so much more than that. Listen, guy, you've got the Messiah's fingers in your ears. And the Messiah, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, is touching your tongue. Be healed. Be open." Be made whole again. 
Jesus loves private conversations and private moments with you too. He loves them. Moments where he can heal you, restore you, talk to you, open you to new revelation and new experiences with him. And maybe make you more and more whole. Because Jesus loves the right perspective. Jesus loves the right perspective. He looked up to heaven and with a deep sigh said to him, Ephatha, which means be open. Jesus shows where his perspective is, where his thoughts are, why he acts the way that he acts and believes the way that he believes. Where his sigh is birthed from is by looking to heaven. His sigh is birthed from a place that contains no sickness, no disease, no illness, no imperfections. So out of that, Jesus looking at this situation and then finding the solution, the answers in heaven, uses one authoritative word and changes this man's life forever. Because he knows his father's will is for it to be done on earth as it is in heaven. He told us that because of the Holy Spirit, if we believe in Jesus, we can do things just like Jesus did. Because he sent the Holy Spirit. Because of Jesus, we can ask anything according to his will and watch God move. So you and I can influence others with the power and love of Jesus. When we pray in Jesus' name, we see healings take place. When we pray in Jesus' name, we see brokenness fixed. When we pray in Jesus' name, we see things done on earth as it is in heaven. When we pray in Jesus' name, we can see people be restored and come into relationship with Jesus. Why? Oh, because Jesus loves changing lives. Jesus loves changing lives. At this, the man's ears were opened, his tongue was loosened, and he began to speak plainly. People were overwhelmed with amazement. He has done everything well, they said. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. Again, this healing happens. I can picture this guy just ecstatic, like jumping around, hooting and hollering, dancing with joy because he can hear and he can speak. And I can picture Jesus loving every single minute of it. Jesus loves changing lives, and he loves seeing us respond to the love that he displays for us. People were overwhelmed. Have you ever been overwhelmed in your life? Most of the time when I think about being overwhelmed, it's associated with being overwhelmed by something negative. 
like overwhelmed by stress or worry or doubt or work or whatever. But people were overwhelmed with amazement. They are running around telling anyone and everyone who will listen, he's done everything well. Let me tell you about this. That's Jesus. He does everything well. He was there in the beginning when all of creation was being formed. Jesus was there. God looked over everything and saw that it was good. Everything that we have done, we have done well. And then people made a sin choice and messed it up. And so Jesus came to make a way for us to be made right again and promise that the original plan of creation, the original plan of perfection will come again when he returns. What a promise we have in Jesus. That's why we need to look up. We need to look up over our problems, over our situations, over what's going on in our lives. We need to look up <coughs> over these things. Look up, look away from these things. This has nothing good, really, about it. All it does is distract us from what's truly important most of the time. I guess there are some good things I can call my wife and text her. That's good. But most of the time, it's distracting me from what truly matters. Look up from your television sets. Fox News, CNN, whatever you're watching. Look up from it. These things are so temporal. They're, they're so short-term. Focus on heaven. Because Jesus is coming back soon. He is coming back soon. Does that mean, what are you saying, Pastor David? Are you saying just to ignore all of my problems and just look away from them and, and look at the Bible? No, that is not what I'm saying. Your problems matter. Your problems matter to God. Your issues matter to God. But don't let them consume you. Don't let them consume every single thought, every single minute of every single day. You're just thinking about, oh my gosh, how am I going to get through this? Oh my gosh, what am I going to do about this? That is not what we were meant to carry. We look up. Don't spend all your time thinking about and dwelling on your situations without first Lifting your eyes up to heaven and thinking about what that is like. What God's actual will is. And then experience that sigh of contentment. Experience that sigh of peace. Sigh like you really know that Jesus loves. 
Jesus loves. We read in one of Paul's letters to the Romans where he uses the stenazo word, the sigh or groan word. And then just a few verses later, Paul writes, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Jesus loves. We need to not miss this one simple, so simple, yet so deep, so profound, so difficult to understand. Jesus loves you. He loves you. Say it, even right now, under your breath. Jesus loves me. Jesus loves me. Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. The message paraphrase of that same verse in Romans 8. If God didn't hesitate to put everything on the line for us, embracing our condition, God knows you. He knows everything about you. And he embraces our condition and exposes himself to the worst by sending his own son. Is there anything else he wouldn't gladly and freely do for us? He knows you, knows every single one of your flaws, knows every single one of your issues, knows exactly how many hairs are on your head, and still gladly and freely does so many loving things for you, you can't even begin to contain them, write them down, even think about all of them. They're too numerous. I just, I sense that there are people in this room right now that you have lived a very long time thinking that God, when he looks at you, when Jesus looks at you, he sighs with a sigh of disappointment. There's, there, there's somebody or somebody's in here who have lived a long time thinking that God sighs when he looks at you and sighs with a sigh of embarrassment or sighs with a sigh of anger and frustration. <sighs> when are you going to get it together? Or sighs with a sigh of annoyance. <sighs> you again asking me for the same thing again? There are people in here who have lived far too long with the idea that God looks at you in sighs with a sigh of shame or embarrassment or disgust. Can I encourage you to change your thinking today? 
May today be a new day where those thoughts don't rule your mind. Where you view God and think about God the right way, with the right perspective. He sighs over you with a sigh of love. With a sigh of love. He looks at you. He looks at his original plan for you. He looks at the potential that has been woven by him in you. And sighs with a sigh of love and excitement. This love can't be explained by me or another pastor who's better than me or the best theologian that has ever lived on the face of the earth. This love cannot be explained by human words. It is a love that is only experienced when Jesus goes out of his way, when he loves the broken person, when he has a private conversation with them, when he gives the right perspective and when he changes lives, that's where this love is experienced. You'll never change God's love for you. But God's love should change you. You'll never change God's love for you. Nothing you can do can change it. But because of God's love, it should change the way we think. God's love should change the way we think about him, the way we think about ourselves, the way that we think about other people. His love should change the way we act, the way we live. His love should move us to live for God and for others, not for ourselves. His love should change us. Would you bow your heads with me all over this room? Thank you for listening. You know, we believe God has something amazing in store for you today. And now is the perfect time to take a few moments and pray about what you just heard. If this message spoke to you, we would love to hear about it. Send us an email to office at cccmidland.com or connect with us on your favorite social media at cccmidland.